Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, recording this on a Sunday afternoon after the Knicks just finished up a one in two week. Uh, they lost at home to Atlanta before beating a shorthanded 76ers team in Philly, then wrapped up the week by falling at home to a, a Celtics team that really couldn't miss. So we're going to talk about the games a little bit, uh, as well as uh, Thibs seeming to find a bit of, a bit of flexibility, maybe using a little bit of his imagination in his lineups. We're going to talk about Grimes and Reddish and the, and kind of the rotation squeeze they've got there and uh, and a bunch more stuff. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Kenny Poon. Kenny, what's going on? Hey, it's good to be here. I'm uh, just enjoying the wind out of this weekend. Uh, it was a lovely, lovely weekend. Uh, hung out with the family. You know, there's my, uh, for some reason, all of my cousins, my siblings, uh, a lot of them are born in October and November, and it is now November, so there was some celebrating this weekend, hit up the uh, Science Center at Sacred Heart University, right by you, Tom, uh, and hung out for a fourth, four-year-old birthday party. So it's been wild for me. How are how are things going over there for you? The Science Center. So I have not been there before, but you know I do have a, a child now, and so is that a good spot? Is that is that like a spot for a birthday? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, it was a very interesting spot. Um, I don't know that it was, uh, you know, designed for with me in mind, but I found it interesting. There was some some fun, uh, entertaining things to do. Um, you know, we shot paper rockets with some like pressurized air. There was a um, paper airplane launching mechanism that we played with a lot, probably too much, um, <laughs> and that that was a lot of fun. And then there were some uh, some other science exhibits, a lot of stuff on bats. I don't know if it's just the time of year or if that is, you know, kind of a year round thing for them. But there was a lot of, you know, stuff teaching you different things about bats. A friend of the pod, Colin Abinovich, is a big bat guy. So I, I was going to recommend that to him. Uh, but overall, bats. you know, he, he he's a bat guy. Yeah, um, he is. He is quoted in a, you know, new newspaper article as loving bats. So, uh, you know, he's a big bat guy. That's not fake news. And no, that, that sounds like a good a good place just for I feel like my wife Rose would love that. Like Rose would really that might just be date night. We might leave Miles out of it and just uh the two of us hit up the science exhibit at Sacred Heart. Um cool. No, good good weekend here too. Went to the Trumbull Trail, went for a nice long hike. Dog, baby, a lot of a lot of hiking, stuff like that. It was it was a nice weekend. Um Got an extra hour of sleep, which was needed, and I actually took advantage of it, so that was good. Um, but, you know, there were also two Knicks games this weekend, so how good could it have really been? No, it was fine. It was fine. Um, Kenny, just real quick, we'll want to run through these games. I know we don't want to get too hung up on the actual nitty-gritty of them. but So first was the, the Hawks game. It was at home, and... You know, the Knicks lost 112 to 99. The score was probably, you know, that indicate didn't indicate kind of how much of a blowout this really was, um, particularly in the second half. Like, <laughs> I mean, really, I should say in the third quarter specifically, but um, like the Knicks went up big to, to start this one, went, went up big early. And then in the back half of the second quarter and then throughout the third quarter, they really lost it, let go of the rope, ended up getting blown out. DeJounte Murray just crushed us. On the defensive end, that led to offense. He ended up with 36 points, nine assists, five steals, and a block. Like, absolute monster. Anything you want to add to that, about that Hawks game? Uh, 
you know, not really beyond the fact that like that third quarter was some of the worst basketball I have seen played. Um, I think it is worse than the Knicks are as a team. It was just, you know, a a disastrous quarter and and uh, in no small part due to the DeJounte Murray's, you know, disruptiveness on the defensive end, but also he was just hitting hitting shots, which is, you know, he, he's a good player. What can you do? I mean, look, that is a really tough backcourt for our Knicks backcourt to to contend with. Like, you know, Fournier really struggled in this one. He was a game low minus 20, and that's going to kind of be a theme throughout this conversation. Like Fournier, he ended up playing 18 minutes and 40 seconds. It was honestly 18 minutes and 40 seconds too long. His offense, even if he were hitting, it wasn't going to make up for what he was doing on the defensive end. And, you know, when you got Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in that opposing backcourt, like you need some guys who can get stops. Um, you know, RJ, Jalen, Fournier, they just they weren't up to that task. And uh, that's not surprising. Right. I, I don't think so. Um, there was a little bit of like, also, like, yeah. Yeah. Just one thing. Like it, it was it surprised me a little bit, but I believe they said that, you know, uh, DeJounte Murray had 36. I believe they said that was his career high, which. You know, maybe I don't watch enough of DeJounte Murray, but based solely off of this game, that surprised me as a career high for him. Yeah, I know he's like always a very balanced player. Like last season, he put up ridiculous points, you know, totals across the board with points, rebounds, and assists. But maybe he's not like a, a pour it in type of player. But, um, you know, I feel like there was a kind of like a collective meltdown a little bit for Knicks fans after this one. Like, the loss was really that bad. There's kind of that baggage where we lost to the Hawks in that first round of the playoffs when we were the four seed two two playoffs ago. Um, so, you know, the, the vibes were really bad following that game. And the Knicks didn't do much to kind of, you know, turn the car around with the, with the beginning of that Philadelphia game. I feel like they came out kind of slow and sluggish. Um, there was some reversion to some, some bad tendencies, some Randall centric offense, but um I don't know, like Kenny, halfway through that one, were you thinking like, oh, this season is is really on a downward trajectory or, or were you kind of keeping more of a level head throughout this one? I mean, I, I feel like I'm the I am the level head guy um, where and the, the point that I keep bringing up on Twitter, because I think you're right about the after the Atlanta game, like people were calling for Tibbs's head. And it's just like mm-hmm. if you and I keep saying this all the time, but like if you laid out those games ahead of the season we have beaten every team we're supposed to be, and we have lost to the teams that you're supposed to lose to in every one of those games. Um, Philadelphia, like ahead of the season, you would have said that's that's the game we would lose, given that they in this game they were missing both James Harden and Joel Embiid. So, you know, maybe that one flips. And I know also the Knicks, I think, were the, were the betting favorite in the, the Hawks game. But still, I I don't know. At the beginning of the season, I think when we did the, the you know, where do we think that they're going to finish? I think we had the Hawks ahead of them. So like I, I feel like there was, you know, there was a certain point of the Hawks game was some of the worst. The third quarter was the worst basketball that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, but at the same t- time, that's like one quarter in a season. Um, so I even like with that, and um, I wasn't too, you know, I wasn't out on the season. I wasn't out on tips after that. The um, the beginning of the 76ers game did make me nervous because, you know, it, it did come immediately after the Hawks game. And you're, you're hoping that they come out kind of strong and and put that behind them um and at that point i was like uh maybe i was a little too lenient up that on them and like maybe they are just a, a bad team um so it, it's it's tough to say um kind of how i was feeling in the moment because i was 
I think you are aware of this. I was only getting news from you and Greg, so I, I watched it later and, and I was aware of you know how it ended. But it, it was a bad look. Yeah, and I think that part of it was like Randall was struggling, and again, he was he was too much of a focal point in this one. Like Jalen Brunson was actually pretty solid. Like he finished, even if you're just looking at the box score, he was seven of 15 from the field, eight of nine from the free throw line, seven assists to one turnover. Like these are solid numbers. He was plus 11 on the game. Um, and it's just like Julius Randle had finished with six turnovers. Some of them were, were really ugly and at, you know, key frustrating times. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that what, what turned this game around completely was when Cam Reddish, and Obi Toppin came in the game. The fourth quarter completely flipped. The Knicks had a nice comeback. They ended up pulling this one out. Toppin hit a couple clutch threes. Uh, Cam Reddish had some some nice. He had a really nice steal at a, at a crucial moment and finished four of four from the field. Like Cam Reddish was one of the. Even though he only played fifteen minutes, I felt like he was one of the most impactful players that we had in this one. And I'm one of Cam's, you know, kind of biggest critics at times. He he was awesome in this one. Like we needed him every minute of his of his play. So um, that was encouraging. Like, yeah, to your point there, the Sixers without Harden and Embiid. So how, you know, how really excited you could be about this one is you may be a little, you probably temper that a little, but it's better than a loss. So we'll take that. And then that brings us to the, to the last game was, uh, it was last night at home again against the Boston Celtics. The Celtics just came out firing. Um, I don't know if there's too much more to this one than, the Celtics set their franchise record for threes made in a game like that. You know, they went 27 to 51. They hit about that's 53% for those counting at home. They were on fire. Some of that was insane shot making. So part of it was, yes, the Knicks had a ton of defensive breakdowns, but you know, I, I think that on the offensive end, it was one of the more encouraging games I've seen. I thought that, you know, the Knicks still put up 118 points against a solid Celtics defense. Um, granted without Robert Williams, uh, without Al Horford. So like they were kind of missing that piece in the center. And that really showed that Blake Griffin started at center, but even so offensively, there was a lot of good defensively. I thought it was, you know, some of the worst defensive execution we've had this season, but we can get into that a little later. Yeah. And I think, you know, you touched on a point that I think went overlooked by a lot of people. Cause again, like this was a loss and a loss is a loss. But the the Knicks offensively, like they performed incredibly. The the defense was the problem, but like offensively, they shot you know fifty one percent from the field, forty point seven percent from the three. They made eleven for twenty seven from three, and then they made fifteen of sixteen free throws. So like offensively, they did what you want them to do. Um, I had you know, I, I think I had talked to you and, and Greg kind of offline um, throughout the game about you know R.J. Barrett had a great looking stat line, but he did have you know, six turnovers. And to me, some of those turnovers were like absolutely awful. And even, you know, he went nine for 15 shooting uh, and starting the game. Some of those misses were just egregious. I think his first attempt of the game was, um, you know, a, a little floater in the lane and he just completely missed the rim from maybe a foot and a half away. Um, so some of that was concerning, but, you know, it was good to see him turn things around uh, as the game progressed, at least, you know, in the shot making arena. I know he he continued to to have turnovers throughout the game. Um, but the biggest kind of thing that I, I took away from his performance is he did go six for six from the free throw line, which is something that he's been working on a lot. So that was, you know, very encouraging. And it was, a you know, despite the fact that the, the Celtics, you know, set their franchise record for threes made, this was a close game until, you know, the waning minutes of the fourth quarter. Uh, so that that was, you know, promising. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
to your point about like box score watching versus actually watching the games. I mean, RJ Barrett scoring 27 points on 15 field goal attempts is it's elite for him. Like that is almost unheard of. But again, to your point, like we watched those six turnovers. Some of those led to wide open threes in critical moments for the Celtics. Um, that was, it was really, some of those were absolutely devastating, like backbreaking type of turnovers. And so, and he also, he also missed that wide open left-handed layup. I think Mike Green called him seething like multiple times after that. So like, I'm not trying to be critical. You're going to take a 27 point game from RJ and that kind of efficiency. It's just cleaning up the, there. There are times when he looks like he has predetermined what he wants to do and he's not reacting to the defense. He's kind of just trying to impose his will and it, and it really it, it doesn't it doesn't work at this level. So you have to really be able to be in tune with what the defense is doing and kind of react to, to that. Um, dude, Julius Randle put up 29 points on 19 shots, made all of his free throws. Uh, he was he looked good as well. Like this was a, a he played 40 minutes. It was a big Randall game. He was really aggressive, especially without the, the defensive enforcer in the middle for Boston and Jalen Brunson, 22 points. 10 assists to no turnovers. Like he is, he's really impressive. Like I think he was the best. He had a third quarter that was, I mean, the shot making was unreal. Like the mid range stuff, the footwork, the, I mean, everything about it was unbelievable. Um, so that was all uh, offensively. Like those are your big three players. Like that's who you need to be efficient between Randall Barrett and Brunson. We got that last night. It's just, it happened to coincide with both the Celtics hot shooting night and the Knicks may be playing their worst defensive game I've seen in a long time. Yeah. So just one, one more point to add on to the, what you're saying about Jalen Brunson. Cause you know, if I had checked out the box score, it would have, you know, assumed that he was the, the, the leading scorer on the team. And it's, it's a very, you know, um, keep in mind that he was playing against primarily uh, Marcus Smart, who was the defensive player of the year last year. So like the fact that he got such, you know, great looks and at times he just made, uh, Marcus Smart look a little bit silly on defense like that's that's just something incredible to watch and he has been so far this season one of the most entertaining you know basketball players for me to watch just because he does it with such craftiness and such great footwork that it's just you know I enjoy it and but maybe maybe I'm a homer Tom no I think you're right and I think that part of what makes it so impressive is that no one's creating for him right like he's these are all self-created points Whereas I think RJ Barrett had, you know, he was the beneficiary of a lot of kickouts and things like that. Many of them from Jalen Brunson. And, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why Julius Randall is unable to be efficient is because he has to create so much of his own offense. Um, the, the impressive part by Jalen Brunson is that he's able to create his own offense and be efficient at the same time. No one else on this team can really do that. So I think that uh, that's what kind of sets him apart. And and frankly, that's why Jalen Brunson is the best player on this team. I, I don't even think that's like really a debate at this point. Uh, I wouldn't debate you. And I think that's, uh, I don't know if it, it made it into the last or the, the preseason pod, but I think both of you, you both you and I had suggested that if someone from the Knicks were to make the all-star game, uh, we thought that Jalen Brunson was the most likely candidate, um, which, you know, it, it's it's interesting, right? Because he just got this new contract, which you know a lot of people said he was overpaid. Uh, he's making less than R.J. Barrett, and you know um, Julius Randle uh, was second team All NBA two years ago, and here we are saying like I think it's pretty clear cut that right now Jalen Brunson is the best player on this team. Yeah, no question. So Kenny, we've got a little gimmicky thing here. I've got some stats here. We're nine games into the season. 
Knicks are four and five. That's, you know, it's over 10% of the, of the season is in the books. Like we're not dealing with tiny sample sizes anymore. So I want to throw some kind of team wide stats at you and get a sense of whether you think that these numbers are going to hold. If you think that they're a little misleading or kind of just get a, a gut check on these. So the first one is just high level basic stats. The Knicks offense ranks 17th in the league right now. Do you think that that, that place in the league is, is a fair representation of this Knicks offense, or do you think going forward that may change? Oh, I feel like that's pretty fair. Um, I mean, I think, I think, uh, again, going back to the preseason pod uh, where we, we picked things, I picked them to do 15th or better. Um, so I think right in that range seems likely they have been, you know, pushing the pace a lot more this year. And, you know, I've tweeted a lot about it that every time they change, you know, they have a lot of guys on their team who are kind of fit for, you know, running fast break, you know, Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, um, you know, to some extent, uh, um, Jalen Brunson. And then, then they have guys like Hartenstein who are, you know, good at kicking off the break. Obi Toppin, Derek Rose, all of these guys, like they are kind of built for the break, um, which is, you know, why I thought there would be such a huge increase this season from, you know, I don't remember where, where we said they finished last year, but it was towards the bottom of the league um, because they were towards the bottom of the league in pace. Um, so all of that to say, I think that that is probably around where they, you know, likely are um, given the, the players that they have. But, you know, I, I said earlier in the season, I said in the preseason pod that I think they're gonna they're gonna break the halfway mark and be above um, the 15th spot. So I'm hoping that they bump up a few spots, but I wouldn't expect kind of a huge jump in either direction. Yeah, I think like part of this conversation goes back to what we were saying about Jalen Brunson being the best player. Like I'm just looking at some on-off stats here, and the Knicks' offense is about 19 points per 100 possessions better when Jalen Brunson plays versus when he sits. And that kind of conversely means that, you know, when he sits, we've got the backup point guards in the Nick, the Knicks offense absolutely tanks when Derek Rose and Emmanuel quickly are in this, are in the game. And, and when Brunson's on the bench, so like that, I don't, I mean, Derek Rose has been uncommonly bad for, for his standards. He, he looked a little better against Boston, but even then he's, there's something a little off with his game right now. He's, I don't know if he's, rounding into form or, or if this is just a, you know, the effects of, of him aging and then quickly his shots just been broken this season. For some reason, I'm hoping that's small sample stuff because, you know, we can't afford the offense to just absolutely go in the toilet every time Jalen Brunson sits. So that's, that's kind of what my one concern and why I think 17th might end up being fair. Yeah. So Kenny, the, the next stat that I had for you here is the Knicks defense. And it's that the Knicks right now rank 18th in the league defensively. Does that number surprise you? Do you think that is, uh, again, do you think that's fair? Or do you think that that's going to either go up or down as the season progresses? Ah, that is interesting. Um, I, I guess it makes sense because, you know, they have had good games. They have had bad games. And, you know, I think I know you said this is not so much a, a tiny sample size, but it's still, you know, um, about 10 percent of the season. Uh, and that, that Celtics game was wild, um, in terms of what was happening. And it just seems like such a, such an outlier. And I think it, it might skew the stats slightly. 
Um, but I would expect, just given that this is a Tibbs team and this is, you know, his calling card is defense, that that would, they would tick up and be, you know, likely, I would guess, in the top 10. I think in the last few years, they, um, you know, two years ago, they were, I think, one, between one and three throughout the season. Uh, last year, they started out pretty slowly, but I think they still finished in the top 10. Um, you, can, you can check if I'm wrong on that. And I would expect, expect um, you know, kind of the similar thing this year, although, again, with the increased pace, I think that might decrease the the defense a little bit just because, you know, you are spending a lot more energy offensively and, you know, giving up and, you know, that exposes you sometimes um, when you're you're trying to get in the break um, for easy buckets for the other team. Um, so I think their, their defense, I would expect it to improve, um, I would guess, you know, around 10 is where I would put them at the end of the season. Yeah, and I think a bit. I agree with you, and I think that a big part of that is going to be. It appears that Evan Fournier is being kind of phased out of the rotation to an extent, and you know, as Quentin Grimes comes back, we should have probably mentioned that Quentin Grimes started against Philadelphia. Um, he didn't play a great deal of minutes. I, I believe he played. I have it right here. He played just fifteen minutes that game, just oh one from the field, and um, the Knicks got crushed while he was in. But, you know, he's obviously going to round into form. He's going to get time. And and then we saw Cam Reddish start in the game against the Celtics. And so that's kind of where the, it looks like they're going with the, at the two or the three. Like, they're going to have a bigger defensive-minded wing. And Evan Fournier, I mean, he got 10 minutes against the Celtics, and Quentin Grimes didn't even play. Like, that's – granted, he played terribly, uh, Fournier did. but. I don't know, man. Like I, I'm looking again at the on-off numbers, and the Knicks defense is just—it's ten and a half points per hundred possessions better when Fournier is on the bench. Like when he plays, our defense is garbage, and when he sits, it's—it's it's actually very good. It's—it's it's among the best defenses in the league. So I, you don't put it all on Fournier. Like that's kind of the case with all of our starters. Like the defense with Randall's defensive numbers are even worse, but. You know, Evan Fournier has proven that he is not a good defender. He he provides zero in the way of, um, you know, keeping his opponents out of the paint, and um, and walling off drives. So, I'm I'm expecting that the fewer minutes Fournier gets, kind of the better the defense is going to look. Yeah, and I I would say that this is something that again I don't know if it made it into the preseason pod, but it's something that we talked about in terms of fit, um, and it's why I think both of us said that. You know, Grimes should be the starter because, you know, he is a better defensive player. And Fournier, um, his ability to create shots for himself um, is better on the bench where they don't have as many creators. And his weakness defensively can be hidden a little more um, against second units than it can against first, uh, than it can be against first units. So, you know, I, I agree with kind of all of those points. And at the same time, um, what we saw in the Celtics game is when you have these kind of shifts in uh, in the lineup, there are some growing pains because, you know, I think there was, you know, you pointed it out on on uh, Twitter, there was a lot of miscommunication. There was a lot of people not knowing um, kind of what the other guy was going to do. And I think part of that stems from not playing a ton of minutes together uh, prior to, you know, Mitchell Robinson got injured. And so, you know, Hartenstein was taking a lot of his minutes and then, you know, Cam Reddish coming in. And I, and I I don't put too much um, stock in Grimes not playing last game. I think, you know, it was the second out of a back-to-back with, and him coming off of injury. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, but like Cam Reddish stepping into that role um, rather than putting Fournier back in, I think there's, you know, some 
some chemistry and communication that needs to be built over time. And I think it will be built over time. I think there's just going to be some some growing pains along the way. And I, I like the idea of having kind of a bunch of, you know, big wings in the lineup, like starting both Reddish and RJ. That makes basically you're able to switch kind of one through four. Like Randall's a better switch defender than he is in drop coverage. Like when he's actually engaged and on the ball, like Randall can move his feet. We've seen it before. There were viral clips of him Ding up Luca in years past. Like he is mobile for his size. He's strong and he's competitive. It's just when he's off ball, that's when he can kind of, there are lapses. So, you know, and then Jalen Brunson, we know similarly, like he's, though he's small, he's very stout. So it's like, you can kind of switch a little bit one through four, a little better when you have Evan Fournier, it just doesn't work very well. So I I'm, I'm interested to see that we saw some switching against the Celtics to your point that didn't go great. Um, but I think that, you know, trying out a new scheme against the Celtics who made it to the finals last year and who we caught on the wrong night, that's, that's kind of a precarious spot. Like you'd rather try out your switching defense against like the Orlando magic or the Detroit Pistons. And, uh, you know, they had, it was trial by fire. They tried it against the Celtics. It, they got burned. Um, and that, that happens. But uh, I, I do like the the um, kind of willingness to try something new on Tibbs' part because that's something I've been critical of him in the past. And the fact that he was even willing to to give something new a shot was uh, good on him, you know. Um, yeah, next stat that I wanted to talk about, <laughs> and this is, kind of goes in with the Celtics game, the, the Knicks – Rank dead last in opponent three pointers made per game and opponent three pointers attempted per game. I can't imagine that's surprising to you, but do you think that number is going to hold? Again, like like the defensive uh, number that you said in terms of them them being seventeenth, I can't imagine that this holds over time. You know, Tibbs is a defensive minded coach, and I think um, that over time he's going to find a solution to this. I think. In particular, the Boston game of them just hitting a ridiculous, they hit, what was it, 26 threes, um, a franchise record. Uh, 27 threes, a franchise record. So, like, I just can't imagine. And then, and again, like, not a tiny sample size, but a small enough sample size that one 27 um, three outing will will skew it a little bit. Uh, but I can't imagine that sticking throughout the, the year. And, um, you know, it's just... Like I said, Tibbs is a defensive-minded coach, and they have some of the players that should be able to, you know, contest the contest threes. Um, you know, I don't know if it's part of the defensive scheme that they're, you know, trying to, to pack it in a little more and prevent twos. But they've also um, gone up against, you know, some teams that that shoot a decent amount of threes. I think the Celtics. I had the stat in front of me before, and I have since put it away. So I'm going to talk slowly and see if I can pull it up which I don't think I'm going to be able well, to. Well, and if you can't, just real quick, like th- it is definitely part of Tibbs' scheme to wall off the paint, like to funnel, you know, you've got guys trying to like, I mean, really the idea is to try and funnel guys to, to Mitchell Robinson. Um, and so when Mitch isn't there, you know, when you have, we don't have like a rim protector like him there, I think that kind of throws his scheme off a little bit. But you do see a ton of overhelping in Tibbs' schemes. Like you've got guys like, I mean, it just stands out to me that quickly will often be like over the midway point of the court when the ball's on the opposite side. And if there's a swing to the opposite corner, 
it is a real struggle for, for quickly and guys like that. Cam Reddish got caught with it last night too, trying to get back out to that opposite corner. If there's like a whip pass, it's, it's a real struggle. And that's just part of the scheme. It's just like guys are at the nail guys are, you know, under the basket helping. And it's uh, it's just a lot of ground to cover. And so that's when you're trying to like run guys off the line. What we're seeing a lot now is just like guys taking one dribble, like throwing a pump fake, taking one dribble in place, one dribble to the side. And, you know, it's not so much attacking closeouts as it's just like still getting open threes. <laughs> you know, they, those used to be attacking closeouts back in the day. You'd throw a pump fake, a guy would fly by you and then you'd go attack the rim or and pull up in mid range if you had to. That's not what's happening anymore. Guys are throwing the pump fake, taking one dribble to the side and, and draining threes. And uh, that's just the, that's the, the league we're in now. Yeah. And, and just again, like, I, I feel like in the Celtics team in particular, there were just far too many wide open threes. And we talked a little bit about kind of the, it looked like there was a lot of miscommunication on the, on the team. So like there's that, that creates a little bit of an outlier, but, but what I started to say and was poor at doing is that um, Boston right now is second in the NBA and three pointers attempted. Milwaukee is fifth in the NBA uh, and then, you know, the 76ers are 11th and Memphis is 13th. So, like, they face, they have faced two of their nine opponents are, are top five in the league in terms of a uh, three-point attempt. So, like, it might be a little of the, you know, who you're playing against. Uh, that's the issue. And I just, again, I just can't see us going throughout the season without, you know, Tibbs making some sort of adjustment to to get that number down. Yeah, man. So we we kind of touched on it earlier, this whole kind of, trifecta of, of Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, and Evan Fournier. We've had three different starters at shooting guard in the last three games. And so I'm just, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, do you think, and there's a little bit of a squeeze here. Like, do you think that Fournier is going to get like, you know, kind of whatever happened to Kemba Walker last season taken out of the rotation? Can you see that happening with Fournier or is his contract kind of too much for that to be the case? And if, if not, like, I don't know. What's what do you think the the kind of minutes breakdown is going to be? Is it going to be ride the hot hand or I don't know. Yeah, and like if you had asked me before Fournier got benched, I would or got moved to the bench. He is still coming off of the bench, um, at, at least a little bit. I would have definitely said that like he's just going to be in the starting lineup because you know they did invest a lot of money in him, and you know he has proved to be um, you know an NBA caliber player. His fit on this team isn't great. And, you know, he did just he is coming off of kind of a very long summer uh, of playing basketball um, in Europe uh, for Team France, where he was, you know, by all accounts, one of the best players on Team France that included, you know, several NBA players. Um, And so maybe there's a little bit of exhaustion there or something. But I, you know, it it's so hard to say, because like right now I could see kind of what happened to Kemba happening to him where, you know, now that he is coming off the bench, you saw that um, with Grimes on the second night of a back-to-back, they didn't want to start him again and play him. Uh, so they they put Cam Reddish in instead. And that would have been, you know, if, if there was any question, Fournier would have gone in, back into that starting role. Um, but, like, the fact that he didn't tells me that, you know, they're, they're pretty committed to him coming off the bench at this point. And then, like you said, when there's, you know, a full 11 bodies in the rotation, Someone is going to fall out. And, you know, Cam Reddish has been hot and cold. Uh, Fournier has had, you know, very few moments of hot, but like he, he is a more known quantity than Cam Reddish is. Like, and it's so hard to say, but like I would right now lean towards there is a possibility of him kind of getting squeezed out of the rotation just based on the fact that he, of him, 
Grimes and uh, and Cam, like he has played the worst, given that Grimes has only played maybe what it was it, 15 minutes, and he was a minus 20 in those 15 minutes. I think that you know they are expecting better things out of him, and Cam Reddish has played better than Fournier at this point. I mean, so, do like, you put do you put any stock into the whole like Grimes was uh, kind of taken off the table in a Donovan Mitchell conversation? So like you have to see what he's about. You have to give him time because of the organizational priorities. I mean, I think, I think I look at it the opposite way. I think the reason he was off the table is because you think that he is a good player. And if you think that he's a good player and last season, he was a good defender, he was a good shooter. And that's stuff that the Knicks need from their, you know, starting two or three, depending on what you label RJ as. Um, so I think that that's the reason he's going to get minutes. Um, and because you think all of those those things that is why he was off limits so like i don't think because he he was taken off the table there that you have to play him i think that you're going to play him because you think that he's a good player and so even if he struggles to start with i think you know him what he showed last year and and everything kind of uh that he adds in terms of like like what i was just saying that fournier doesn't really fit with this team he he adds to a lot of the the issues that the knicks are trying to address um so i think he's going to get get those minutes yeah, so who would you start, Reddish or uh, Grimes? Um, both I, are healthy, both are healthy, and like, you know, Grimes is rounded back into form. I would I would start Grimes. Um, I, again, I think that he, the, and it's something that we talked about a lot, and, you know, we talked about it with Fournier rather than, than Cam Reddish, but um, I think Grimes' shooting ability, defensive ability, and his ability to not need the ball in his hands um, helps. Uh, we've seen from Cam Reddish a lot that when he gets the ball, like he tries to create on his own. And again, like that is something that, you know, would be more useful for him off the bench just because we have RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, all needing the balls and ball in their hands. So if you add in Quentin Grimes and, and when he's healthy, Mitchell Robinson as guys who don't need the ball and can kind of, you know, um, space the floor in different ways, then I think that is a much better unit than it is with you know, another creator who, you know, has some defensive liabilities on the other end. Yeah, totally agree. I'm with you. Get Grimes in the starting lineup, give Reddish a lot of minutes though. I mean, a lot is relative, I guess, but you know, Reddish has earned playing time. He's earned to be a solid part of this rotation. Um, Again, I, if I would have, I would not have guessed that coming into this season, let's just say that much. And, And there have been moments in this season where he's, it's, he's a really tough player to gauge. But defensively, man, like he he does seem to lock in. He's so long and he's got really quick hands. Breen mentioned that on the broadcast last night. Like he gets he there's a lot of deflections, a lot of steals, and just a lot of a lot of dynamic plays that you don't really see from from some other guys. Like from I'm just like comparing him to like RJ Barrett defensively. Cam Reddish is is kind of on a different level right now. And so Yeah, but I I mean I would I agree with that most of the time but there are some times when like he just completely looks like he spaces like there's yeah. times when when guys just like drive by him offensively and then or and then when he is on offense he take has taken some of the worst shots i have seen absolutely and so it's just like you said it, it's hard to gauge because there's sometimes when he does some some great things and if he if he were to you know become more consistent uh in you know avoiding some of those maddening plays i think it would be you know a, a lock to be in the that position but because those things happen, it's just like, ah, does that open the door a little bit for a guy like Fournier, who's, you know, uh, a good high volume three point shooter to kind of sneak into that position. Cam's hard to talk about, man. I, I never seem to like 
actually articulate what I want to when I'm talking about Cam Reddish. It, um, a real enigma. Yeah, it's and it's like like we've said, it's it's all over the place. There's some great stuff. There's some phenomenal stuff, and then there's some stuff that just makes you scratch your head. And it's it it, it you'd like him to find some happy medium in the middle. All right. So I think the, the last kind of rotation thing I want to talk about. I mean, I, I'm a little curious about the Derrick Rose situation. Like if we think he's going to continue getting minutes, his minutes are way down from last year. Um, but I don't know. I guess we can start there. Anything, any thoughts on Derrick Rose and his place in the rotation? Do you think it's, it's up for grabs a little? Uh, I don't think so. Um, unless you think that, cause Tibbs is going to stick with 10. Um, and you know, I, I don't, you know, IQ has been very good at some things this season. He has been not as good at, at other things. So I think Derek Rose is going to stick as your, your backup point guard. I think they're just kind of bringing him along slowly after he was injured all of last year. And like I said earlier, like it surprises me that he has been so, um, the Knicks have been so poor with him out there offensively just because he has had spurts and, you know, there, he has had, you know, it seemed to me as though most of the time when I see him in there, he was, you know, getting to the rim and getting some pretty good shots and, you know, stepping up and hitting hitting threes uh, at a pretty consistent clip. So, you know, from watching the games rather than, um, you know, looking at the stat sheet, I would say that, you know, he is pretty firmly in there. Um, I, again, I think they're, um, they do have enough confidence in IQ that I don't think his minutes are going to be huge this season. I think it's, it's better for him if he's playing a more limited role, just because we've seen in the past where he's gotten injured a lot. So like, I think that is a calculated move. I don't think it's, you know, any indication that he is not going to be a part of this rotation. Yeah, I'm I'm with that. And, you know, all the Rose and Tibbs history there, I think that's, you know, there's a lot there. So I think the last thing I want to get into is probably probably the most exciting thing that a lot of people want to talk about is, you know, Randall and Obi, Obi's minutes. Um, the fact that we saw Randall and Obi together against the 76ers and how successful that was. Um, you know, Obi then went on to only play just under, was it under 15 minutes? He played... Yeah, just under 15 minutes in the Celtics game. And that was a situation where, you know, Mitchell Robinson wasn't playing. So you had Julius Randle playing the the backup five, essentially. You would think that would have meant more Obi Toppin minutes. That wasn't the case against Boston. So I think for all the hope that that Philly game gave you, that these two could play together, I think that um, just the fact that his minutes total was so low in the following game may have uh, kind of, dampen to that a little but what what do you think you you would like these two playing together you like what you saw against philly or is it kind of more situational i think it's definitely a situational thing and i think um nick's fans just based on what i've seen on twitter are a little too excited about this possibility because you did see it a decent amount in the 76ers games and you did see it in the the boston game for a little while where they had randall and uh and obi playing but in both games the the team they were playing didn't have you know their starting center uh so the celtics were were putting out um, noah vonley former nick ray and grant williams in the center position and that kind of gives you the ability to play julius randall at the center and then the 76ers were playing paul reed and montrez harrell um so again that that gives you the ability to go a little smaller um but i think normally we've talked about it before that tibbs likes to have a traditional center in there so i don't think it's I think it's something that's going to happen more than I would have expected at the beginning of the season, just based on what we've seen so far. But I think it's definitely going to be situational. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we shouldn't get our hopes up too much, but uh, 
you know, it, it did look good against Philly. So in the right situation, that is a, a definite plus. And it's nice that Tibbs, again, was even willing to try it because that hasn't always been his MO. So, um, you know, good on him again, even though I think he should probably do it a little bit more often or just have more faith in OB in general. Um, yeah, and I think just let me just jump in uh, right there. I think that might be part of it. I think they, they are bringing and, – and Tibbs is known for not really um, – depending too much on his young guys that are developing. And I think that might've been part of the reason why Obi did not see as many minutes against the Celtics because he was not having a great shooting game. I think he, you know, contributed in other ways and um, you know, he has kind of maybe earned some more leeway, but I think, you know, Tibbs goes with what he knows and what he knows is that, you know, Julius Randall right now is the better player and Julius Randall by all, all accounts against the Celtics was having a pretty good game. Um, so, you know, you had to stick with that. The other thing that was happening in the Celtics game is that the Knicks were getting killed on the boards and um, Hartenstein as a traditional center, like kind of gives them the ability to, to, you know, um, grab a few more of those rebounds. Whereas Obi has been, you know, a little inconsistent, you know, Hartenstein. Yeah. Obi's really struggled to grab defensive boards. Yeah, Yeah. It's been rough. But as I'm actually looking at the stats, it looks like the Knicks actually out rebounded the, the Celtics by 30, 34 to, Knicks had 44, Celtics had 34. So maybe that was part of it because um, Hartenstein had had 14. But to me, watching the game, it looked like they were struggling a little bit more to get rebounds, but maybe I was misinterpreting that. No, but like but, on the on the season, like the, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now, Obi Toppin ranks in the 15th percentile among bigs for defensive rebounding. Like he just doesn't grab a bunch of defensive boards. Yeah. And, and I feel like the team also, I mean, th- this is why Tibbs benches him. You're right to call that out. Noah Vonley was grabbing rebounds over him. Like when that's happening, it's time to sit, uh, at least certainly in Tibbs' eyes. So I, I'm with you there. Yeah, and I think, and maybe I, I again, I, I had assumed that Boston was out rebounding us, but it might just be because I am so used to watching uh, Mitchell Robinson grab every rebound that is available. That like when the Knicks were not grabbing every single rebound, it it looked to me like they were being beat. But uh, I think that's that's kind of my my thoughts on on why Obi didn't play a little more in that Celtics game. Well, listen, man, uh, I've got a crying baby over here, so let's make some predictions. Let's get out of here. Um... And, uh, you know, we, we've had some tech issues, but I think we've weathered them okay. So, uh, so Kenny, we were the upcoming week, we've got four games. We've got one at Minnesota, one at Brooklyn. Then we're at home against Detroit and OKC. How are you feeling about these four games? What do you think? I think they got to win against Detroit. Um, I would like to, to win against um, Minnesota. And then, you know, OKC. Uh, it's unclear to me what's going on there. Like, are they trying to win? Are they trying to tank? Like SGA has been incredible. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to call it an even split. Um, I, I, I didn't mention it, but I'd also like to beat the Nets because, you know, reasons. I was going to swear, but we're on, now that we're on video, I don't want to swear anymore. Um, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to call for a two and two week. I want to beat Detroit. I would like to beat Brooklyn and then, yeah, eh, we'll call it three and one, and then one of Minnesota and Oklahoma City. Three and one. I just talked myself into it. Nice. I like three. I mean, the Thunder. I mean, that's that's optimistic. Like the Thunder are four and five. Like they're they're decent right now. Timberwolves are five and five. Again, those are those are two like fine teams. Um, I I would like to think the Thunder at home, we we could take care of business there. Um, 
that may may just be optimistic thinking, but I like both those home games for us. Going on the road to Minnesota could be a struggle, but going to Brooklyn is almost like a home game with some of those crowds. Um, not not as much energy as there is at MSG, but um, I could see three and one this week, and, and we'd be having a very different conversation. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of optimism coming out of a three and one week. You wanna you wanna both go for that? Yeah, I'll go for three and one. Let's do it. All right. Well, listen, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for you know bearing with us for any tech difficulties we had. Um, we're, we're putting out more content. We've been putting out Instagram stuff, been putting out a lot of um, videos. We're on YouTube now. Please go subscribe to us on YouTube at Talking Nicks. Um, yeah, we're trying to just do, do more stuff. And uh, do more stuff. So far, so good. So yeah, if you can, subscribe to us on your your podcast apps, give us a rating, review, all that stuff, all the likes, all the thumbs. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And hey, let's go Knicks. Knicks take.